Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore with your host, Matthew Miller. We give you pint-sized, bite-sized pieces of supernatural monster lore, exploring their origins, their history, and their meaning to the human condition. Listen on, if you dare. <laughs> Matthew Miller, expert on all things monster and paranormal. I'm a horror writer from the dark and haunted swamps of Louisiana, and it's my pleasure to welcome you into my terrifying world. Please check out my books on Amazon, beginning with Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story, which is volume one of the Gravediggers series. The Gravediggers are a punk rock band who keep crossing paths with all sorts of dark, evil, nasty creatures. It's horror and comedy in one super entertaining series. So I returned last week from the Scarefest Horror Convention in Lexington, Kentucky. I had a great weekend. I met lots of great people, saw some great cosplay. I actually got to see Kane Hodder, who if you're not aware, he plays Jason in most of the Friday the 13th movies. I also sold 60 of my books. I had a vendor booth, 60, which was many more than I had imagined I would. So I was very pleased with that. But it's good to be home, as always. That 15-hour drive is definitely not fun. So this is Season 1, Episode 5, which is also Part 5 of the Vampire set. We've looked at the idea of the vampire, seen some documented European cases of vampirism, as well as some vampires from around the world throughout history. Uh, in the last episode, we examined some vampires right here in the good old USA, dealing with the vampire panic of New England, which was in the 1800s. We saw some documented cases of supposed vampirism there. Today we're going to look at some of the alleged symptoms of vampirism and try to put a scientific or medical or rational explanation to them. So what I did at first is make a list of all the things that these vampire accounts have in common. Not all of them have all of these things, but some of them have all of them, and then uh, some of them are universal. So from ancient times to modern times, you know, this from all over the world, these are some of the common traits. Let's start. First, it's someone who recently died. Did you notice that? It's someone who recently died. Not, not someone who died 100 years ago, who are just bones, but someone who died very recently. They're the ones who become vampires. Often they died of illness or disease or plague or something like this. Obviously, they rose from the dead. That's one of the you know, fundamental traits of vampirism as they rose from the dead. Sometimes the grave dirt was disturbed. They often visited people they knew from their lives around town, right? Knocked on their door, <laughs> went to the house, sometimes to the house where they lived. They were active only at night. Sometimes they were physically hungry, asking for food. And sometimes, or often, they were lewd or sexually, you know, desirous. Next, they attack people. They feed on human blood, which seems to sustain them. Then they spread disease among the living. They turn the living into other 
more undead vampires, right, into more vampires. They return to their graves. They remain there during the day. The townspeople often dig them up. And here's an important part. When the townspeople do dig them up, they often find uh, the following characteristics. First, they see that the nails, fingernails, and hair have grown on the corpse, become longer. Second, the body tends to be plump, like healthy, you know. The body is often rosy, again, you know, a sign of good health. The body and often the organs and the mouth contain liquid blood. And if penetrated, usually with a stake, the body often moves or groans or screams or shrieks. Next, the methods of killing them, stopping them from the lore around the world. Religious words that are uttered are religious artifacts that are placed upon the body. It's one way people have tried to stop them. A wooden stake through the heart is, of course, the classic way. Uh, fire, in some legends, fire will kill anything evil. Beheading the vampire, sometimes then placing the head on its body, on top of its body, or putting it backwards by its feet or something like that. Removing the heart and sometimes burning it and eating it as a means of avoiding vampirism among the living. Or if not eating it, then taking the ashes and mixing them in water and drinking that. And then from some other vampire lore that I am familiar with that we didn't look at, just because there's so much of this, I would take 10 podcasts to look at every single possible episode, but uh, every, every you know case of vampirism. But some of the other lore that I'm aware of, um, some people believe they cannot cross running water. So if a vampire is chasing you, jump over a stream, they can't cross it. Probably because the idea of the water being living, quick, alive, you know, and they're dead. And then the water being a kind of purifier. Uh, spreading mustard seeds or things like that, you know, uh, will compel them to stop and count the seeds and then you can get away. They can't endure the sun. Right? It will burn them to death. That's why they're active only at night. You've probably heard of this one. They cannot enter anywhere considered a home without an explicit invitation. They cannot just walk into your house unless you invite them. Okay, those are some characteristics we see around the world throughout history of the vampire. Now let's examine some possible rational or scientific or medical explanations for these traits. First of all, someone who recently died. Well, you know, it's normal for human beings to fear death and corpses. In fact, along with insects and heights, corpses is one of my own um, phobias. You could argue that if you die, you're not that healthy, or <laughs> after all, are you? But if you die generally healthy, your corpse uh, decomposes more slowly than someone who died from a wasting disease. This could explain some of the traits of the vampire corpses especially that they appear to be decomposing at a different rate from the others. Think of the case of Murph, uh, Mercy Brown from the U.S. Uh, they found her body had, had you know, decomposed at a very different rate from the others. Uh, they're also sometimes buried quickly, these diseased corpses, to avoid spreading the disease. And a hasty burial can sometimes be a shallow burial. And so all of this lends these corpses to being noticed more than the other ones, to be different from the other ones somehow. Right? Rising from the dead, well, this is the hallmark trait of vampirism, as well as some other type of lore, such as zombieism. And there are, you know, <laughs> actual eyewitness accounts of people in the act of rising from the grave. Those are scant. <laughs> and there's not much really to say here. I mean, there's obviously no rational explanation for a truly dead corpse to rise from the grave and, and walk again. So there's no explanation for that. 
grave dirt disturbed. This could be explained by animals, especially a shallow grave, uh, or even people disturbing the grave for any number of reasons. And then again, with extremely shallow burials, the de uh, decomposition process itself could disturb the dirt above the corpse. What about visiting they, uh, people they knew around town at night? Well, there's no rational explanation for that, is it? If someone who's dead shows up at your door, I mean, there's no <laughs> medical explanation for that. I mean, mass delusion, maybe? Mass delusion, though, is extremely rare. It's a real phenomenon, but it's extremely rare. Obviously, if someone really who is confirmed dead comes home, well, <laughs> that actifies modern medical knowledge. Another explanation could be that people were simply lying in order to explain some sort of behavior, or, you know. Uh, but it seems to be a, quite a specific lie to be found so often. Also, uh, another possibility is that the people weren't actually dead. I mean, we know that sometimes throughout history, people have been wrongly uh, declared dead and buried and then come back to, you know, they were never dead. They come, they come back to consciousness and it's uh, discovered that they were alive the whole time. That's a possibility. Active only at night. Really no rational explanation except maybe darkness makes it harder to see, right? It's easier at night to think you see something that you don't. Think of clothes piled on a chair that at night look like a monster in your bedroom. But in many cases, these vampires knocked on doors or even talked. Of course, that has nothing to do with, with reduced vision. Physically hungry. To me, this is the oddest aspect of vampirism. They're supposed to be evil revenants, right? Undead who subsist on blood. Why would they be hungry for human food? Again, maybe they were falsely proclaimed dead and were actually alive, and then they realized they were buried, dug themselves up, and they're hungry. But wouldn't they eventually mention that to their, to their relatives? But why only at night? I'm not so sure about that one. Sexually lewd, again, someone falsely declared dead, and then coming back would have all natural and normal human desires. But really, sexuality is a very important part of the vampire lore, especially think like Dracula, especially the more modern lore. And I'm going to explore this theme more next time when we look at the meaning of the vampire myth and lore. They attack people. Well, I don't know what could be said about that. <laughs> They're supposed to be evil. They feed on human blood, all right? This is obviously a huge part of vampirism, if not the main part, is that they feed on blood. There's a disease called porphyria. Uh, one of its characteristics is the lack of ability to form hemi, which is a component of human blood. It's what makes it red. It carries iron to the cells. Some people argue that people with porphyria crave human blood and drink it to satisfy those, those iron deficiencies. The problem, though, is that people with porphyria generally do not crave blood. It's just a myth. There have been one or two cases in history where people with this disease have craved blood, but they're the outliers. Most people with it do not crave blood. And even if they drank blood, it wouldn't help the disease. We, we don't have the ability as human beings to extract iron from ingested blood. So it seems to be a poor explanation for the, con, uh, the aspect of blood drinking of vampirism. Maybe there's a more likely philosophical explanation, but that's for next time. Spreading disease among the living. Humans have always dealt poorly with plagues and disease, right? During the uh, bubonic plague in the Middle Ages, people would feast and dance, you know, uh, life in the midst of death. Life lost its meaning. Uh, the art all showed skeletons dancing with people, the dance of death. And death became so normal that people began to, like, celebrate life for some, some odd, contradictory reason. We look for explanations to try to deal with death, right? Maybe the vampire is one such explanation. Why is this disease spreading and killing one, everyone in town? Well, we make up a villain, the vampire, a scapegoat. 
what about turning the living into vampires? I don't see a rational explanation for this. If this is really happening, then it's obviously supernatural. Active only at night. Uh, another characteristic of porphyria and some other diseases is extreme sensitivity to sunlight. Sometimes the skin even blisters or burns. But again, even though those diseases do exist, they alone can't explain everything about vampirism. Uh, porphyria, you know, can't explain all of it. Townspeople dig them up. This is expected. <laughs> they really think they're vampires. What about the state of the corpses, though? Hair and nails growing. Well, part of decomposition is the skin shrinking and pulling back, which can give the illusion that the nails and hair are growing when they're really not. A plump body. Decomposition creates gases that cannot escape the body, and so the body can become bloated. The body's rosy. Well, after death, blood pools. You know, gravity pulls it to the lowest point, and as the oxygen is depleted, it turns dark red. But this still couldn't explain how the entire body could be rosy, because blood pools only at the lowest point because of gravity. What about liquid blood? At death, blood coagulates, but later it becomes liquid again, actually. So uh, that could explain it. The pressure of gases building up during decomposition could force the liquid out of the orifices, especially the mouth, which would make it look like the corpse had drunk blood. Uh, possible. What about moving and screaming when being staked? Well, any mortician can, t mortician can tell you that because of the buildup of gases, sometimes corpses do move or groan. You know, it's just gas escaping. What I can't explain, though, is the corpses that are said to scream or shriek. That seems to be the norm, not groaning. Uh, boy, I can't imagine what would make them shriek. That's really weird. <laughs> what about the ways of killing them? Well, these have to do more with lore, lore and tradition than anything else. Uh, for example, vampires are viewed as evil, so of course people will try to use religion against them. Staking them was a way to pin them to the ground. Beheading would prevent them from functioning. And then traditionally, vampires are seen as earth spirits, as opposed to, say, fairies, which are air spirits and so forth, wind, water, air, uh, and earth. By using wood from a tree, which is, of course, grounded in the earth, to pin the vampire back to the earth, it's seen as sort of returning them to their natural state. As for the sun burning them, the sun is a source of light and warmth and life. Many religions, it's a god or a symbol of God. Uh, in fact, even in the Christian religion, the Bible says God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So this would contradict vampires' evil, you know, unholy and diseased nature, this pure sunlight. So what's your conclusion? Can everything about vampirism really be explained rationally and scientifically? I'm not so sure myself. Yes, parts of the decomposition process could explain some of the things that people found when they dug up the vampires, but it doesn't explain the screaming and the shrieking. It doesn't explain how people swore they saw the dead walking around town and drinking blood. This, you know, taken with the entire lore, makes me wonder. Do I believe that supernatural things exist? Well, I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't. Yeah, I like to try, uh, to, try to find rational explanations, kind of like a candle in the dark, but there's so much about vampirism and its cases around the world and throughout history to simply dismiss it out of hand. What do you think? Next time, we're going to look at some philosophical aspects of vampirism. Thank you for listening to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore with Matthew Miller. Tonight, if a pale figure shows up at your door asking to come in, you're probably better off saying no.
Oh, my God.